Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And uh, it's the between times, you know? But it's the Happy New Year's for them. In Christmas and New Year's for us when we're recording. Uh, So we have no idea what's going on. I think you guys are already in the future. So how's that? How's 2023 going for you so far? I hope it's going better than 2022 went. Yeah, or 2021 or 2020, maybe also 2019, 2019. maybe any time since like 2016. 2012, really. It's just any time since 2000. Y2K should have happened. <laughs> Y2K was peak humanity and then we just slid down. But yeah, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm so busy somehow. I'm like not doing that much, but I also feel like I am so busy and have way too much going on and therefore just didn't prepare anything for this episode. I'm pulling an Amy today. I just showed up and I'm going to comment. That's bad because Amy also pulled an Amy and kind (laughs) of just showed up. Um, Remember last week when we had such a chaotic episode and we were like, oh, we're going to have such a such a calm, cool and collected episode. And then it was so chaotic. And now we're just doing the same thing again. You would think this week. We would be like, okay, back to our regular programming. But no, you have to suffer through another week of that with us. We've uh, we've stopped being a comedy podcast and started being a chaos podcast. <laughs> I think it's popular with the youths. So hopefully if we rebrand appropriately, uh, we'll get more TikTok followers. We are going to become the science unsighted because we are just by the mere existence of this podcast explaining chaos theory. Yeah, that's us. That's us. You put two English majors with varying levels of burnout in an audio chamber and you get this. (laughs) You guys didn't see that, but I pulled up an anthology because that's what we're going to be doing today. Yes, Amy just pulled out an anthology. She gave me options for the anthology, but I'm not going to lie. Both of the titles sounded exactly the same. So I just picked one. Did you just give me the same book twice? No, they're like two separate books. One's by uh, Norton, which is the one you picked. And then the other's by Oxford. Oxford. Excellent. Press, not university. Well, university press. I'm sure it's associated in some way. So I'm going to open the book to a random page and we're going to hope it's a poem. Okay. used to do this with sight passages. You would just open to a random page and then we'd have to know like what it was from and who wrote it and what it was about. Because we didn't take this class together, I can't just do that with you. I wish. That would have been really fun, but I don't have the right (laughs) anthologies. This is a play. We're not going to do a play. It does seem extra. All right, John Gay, you don't win this time. (laughs) So it's by John Wilmot, the second Earl of Rochester. Fabulous. The precocious son of one of Charles II's most loyal followers in exile. Um, Bonnie Prince Charlie. I definitely know what that is. Wait, would you like to explain what era we're pulling from and everything? The 1600s, also known as the Restoration Period-ish. Why is it called the Restoration Period? So the... British monarchy was once abolished. Woohoo! And then it got put back. <laughs> Woohoo! The, the woohoos are for different people. And now we are here. And now people want to abolish it again. So, well, it's kind of like Charles's are not good kings. Oh, you know what? That's not a bad point. It's not a bad point. Basically, let me give you some background from this. Mr. Wilmot here, the second Earl of Rochester, won the king's favor at the Restoration after education at Oxford and on the continent took place at court. Like he became one of the like court people, not like a judge, like a... Like a jester, like in the royal court. I get it. Yeah. Well, you get it, but not everybody else would. So thank you for putting that out there. (laughs) You know, like the nobles, the nobles who hang
hang out in court and they drink wine and they, I don't know, fuck around and find out. Yeah. He distinguished himself as the man who has the most wit and the least honor in England. I love that so much. For one escapade, the abduction of Elizabeth Mallet, an heiress, he was imprisoned in the Tower of London. What? Yeah. He abducted a woman? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I don't like that anymore. <laughs> that's not funny. Why are we laughing? It's fine. It's not. Oh, wait. No, he marries her. No, that's not okay. She gets Stockholm Syndrome. We've got like a Beauty and the Beast situation up in here. This has been new news. Okay, so he's <laughs> like a friend of the king who ha- used his position of power to kidnap someone and I assume held her hostage or something? Yeah. I, he, okay, so he was 17 when he got into the courts i'm guessing he was still like fairly young that's still i know it's still kidnapping i know i know old enough to know better also you were considered an adult at like 14 or whatever yeah but that doesn't mean they were smart so he regained his position after he fought in the war against the dutch there was a war against the dutch yeah it's random most of this time period is (laughs) in 1667 when he was 20 he married Elizabeth Mallet. Um, his satiric wit directed not only at ordinary mortals, but at Dryden and Charles II himself, embroiled him in constant quarrels and exiles. His practical jokes, his affairs, his dissipations were legendary. So he didn't like Dryden? No. Do we know why? No. They were contemporaries and people at this time were petty and bitchy, so... That's true. He was like one of the biggest writers of the era, though. Mm-hmm. The air of scandal and disguise surrounding his writing only intensified his notoriety as the exemplar of dissolute libertine ways of court culture. (laughs) Apparently, he was drunk for five years, and just before his death, he converted to Christian repentance, and for posterity, he became a favorite moral topic, the libertine who had seen the error of his ways. I like how it doesn't say he was a drunk for five years, like an alcoholic. He was just drunk for five years straight. Like he would go on a bender and then get a hangover, wake up and have like a hair of the dog and just start drinking again for five years. Must have been rough for his wife. His wife, who had already been kidnapped, we should note. Yeah. He doesn't sound like a good guy. I thought he was going to be a fun guy, but... Oh, fun, not good. There's not much room for fun here. Nope. So I'm going to give people a definition of wit. Wit in the restoration meant not only a clever turn of phrase, but mental capacity and intellectual power. Rochester was famous for both kinds of wit. You know, it's very on brand that his name is Rochester. Oh, because Rochester from Jane Eyre is such a (laughs) douche canoe. Yeah, who, you know put his wife in the attic yeah i wonder if he was named after this guy probably most likely and if not fun quinkadink hmm. his fierce intelligence impatient of shaman convention helped design a way of life based on style cleverness and self-interest stylistically he uses forms such as the heroic couplet with volatility that contrasts with the second pointed and balanced manner of its other masters basically he does not conform to form in a way that is formidable <laughs> they say that there's a lot of speculation self-interruption and enjambment in his writing so he's basically doing like stream of consciousness before modernism was a thing yeah that's a thing in 18th century lit we haven't got there yet because huh. i haven't 
talked about any of the books I actually like. But like an authorial persona kind of like putting themselves or like a speaker persona talking directly to the audience is a thing that's like of this time. The disabled debauchee is composed in heroic stanzas like those of Dryden. Who he hated. Who he hated. And it subverts the very notion of heroism by turning conventions upside down. So there's that. Okay. What's a heroic stanza? I'm looking it up. Um, it's a rhymed quatrain in heroic verse with a rhyme scheme A, B, A, B. So it's like four lines that are A, B, A, B. It was pioneered by Geoffrey Chaucer in The Legend of Good Women and The Canterbury Tales. And it's generally considered to have been perfected by John Dryden and Alexander Pope in the Restoration Age. So I'm going to read The Disabled Debouchet because that's okay. what made, I landed on. So I gave you the background of the guy, and now we're going to read it. Okay. Apologies, I've never read this before. <laughs> I hope that no one is starting on this as their very first episode. I was supposed to have a clean language this week, too. Oh my goodness, we're just totally off script. You've had a clean language every episode since we started. How can this be, Amy? I don't know, but I'm going to interrupt my reading before I start reading with a clean language. Okay. Because I can. I got for Christmas from my partner a organizational setup. So he bought me one of those like three-tiered craft rolly things okay. that you can like put arts and crafts stuff in and then bring it to where you want it to have. Yeah, like a little trolley. Like a trolley. Like the ones from Ikea. Yes, but from Michael's. Okay, cool. So he got me that. And it made me cry Aww. for two reasons. The first one is because the first one he bought did not have all the pieces and we had to return it and I was very sad about it. The second reason is because once we did put everything together, I felt very loved and appreciated because nobody had ever thought to give me space to be able to do my crafts easier, like with more ease. So like I used to have to have all my crafts in like this bucket, essentially, this like Ikea fabric bucket where I had to like take everything out and put it, take it out from the closet and then go siphon through everything that I have and make sure that I have everything I needed. And then I didn't have everything I needed, so I needed to go back to the closet. And now it's just all neatly organized and I can just do crafts. That's so nice. So is your clean language to get a rolly organizer? Yeah, he also bought it for me because he was like, this is something you need, but will never buy for yourself. It's very reasonable. So um, this is me telling you to take part in the after Christmas sales, if there are still any by the time this is published, and go get yourself something to make your life easier. And this clean language has been sponsored by Michaels. Not a sponsor. Back to our regularly scheduled programming that was not interrupted by something we do every single week. And was also not regularly scheduled. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Okay. The Disabled Debauchee. As some brave admiral in former war, deprived of force but pressed with courage still, two rival fleets appearing from afar crawls to the top of an adjacent hill. From whence with thoughts of full concern, he views the wise and daring conducts of the fight, and each bold action to his mind renews his present glory and his past delights. From his fierce eyes flashes the fire he throws, as from black clouds when lightning breaks away. Transported, he thinks himself amidst his foes, and absent, yet enjoys the bloody day. So, when my days of impotence approach, and I'm by pox, and wine's unlucky chance, forced from the pleasing billows of debauch on the dull shores of lazy temperance, my pains at least some respite shall afford, while I behold the battles you may Maintain, when fleets of glasses sail about the board, from whose 
broadsides volleys the wit shall rain. Nor shall the slight of honorable scars, which my too forward valor did procure, frighten new listed soldiers from the war. Past joys have more than paid what I endure. Should any youth worth being drunk prove nice, and from his far inviter meanly shrink, twill please the ghost of my departed vice, if at my counsel he repent and drink. There's more. Or should some coal complexion sought forbid, with his dull morals are bold night alarms, I'll fire his blood by telling what I did, when I was strong and able to bear arms. I'll tell of whores attacked their lords at home, bods quartered, beaten up, and fortress won, windows oh demolished, watches overcome, and handsome ills by my contrivance done. Nor shall our love fits chloris be forgot, when each the well-looked link boy strove to enjoy. And the best kiss was the deciding lot. Whether the boy used you or I the boy. With tales like these I will such thought inspire. As to important mischief shall incline. I'll make him long some ancient church to fire. And fear no lewdness he's called to buy wine. Thus statement-like I'll saucily impose. And safe from action valiantly advise. Sheltered in impotence urge you to blows. And being good for nothing else be wise. What? the heck was that okay i have thoughts also i was reading along on um poetry foundation and yeah. they did not use the word used oh what did they okay. use um okay nor shall our love fits chloris be forgot when each the well-looked link boy strove to enjoy and the best kiss was the deciding lot whether the boy fucked you or i the boy Right? So there's a footnote in my anthology. The meaning of use, which appears in the first printed version and many manuscript versions, includes but extends far beyond that of fuck, another prevalent alternative and one preferred by most modern editors. That's so interesting. Okay, so it was used. Yeah. Okay. That's so wild. They. Ugh. Oh my gosh. This is such a wild poem. So basically, he's like just reveling in like violence and misery, basically, right? He's like, I am a soldier who loves violence and I'm going to go cause all this violence and suffering and then that will like keep me going when I'm on my deathbed and old. It's like the opposite yeah. of a pacifist poem. Yeah, it's one of those like when I was your age, I was super cool kind of poems cuz like now he, now he can't fight, right? Because he's disabled. But he's also like not a like a hero because he's clearly not chivalric or anything of the sort. Yeah. Like he's okay. a debauchee, like he's like he's a piece of shit. We're supposed to think <laughs> yeah. he's a piece of shit. But he's talking to this new soldier being like, "Oh yeah, you know, back in my days, we used to just fuck people around." <laughs> This is just so much. Okay, so a pacifist poem, generally, they're like imagining the ones that I've read are either imagining a pastoral past or imagining a pastoral future after the war and then like after the end of humanity because the war is like wiped out people and it's just imagining like a brighter future so it's imagining a time that's not now when there's no war as opposed to now when there is war but this guy is he's like in a time of peace in his own life at least and he's like i can't fight i'm retired from all that but you know it was awesome when I could. The war. It was radical, man. Oh, yeah, man. Having syphilis? Great times. Oh, my God. One of the lines is, so when my days of impotence approach and I'm by pox. So, like, basically, like, he's saying, like, when I can't fuck anymore and I have syphilis. This is so much for no reason. I don't like this author. I don't like him. I don't know why it's like this. It's because it could be, I guess. Like, the printing press was fairly new, right? Ah. Uh. 
And so it's like all like they you could just you could just print anything. Like they could just this is Twitter. Yes, they're like, okay, we're gonna do free speech now, and then they just say like the most messed up stuff you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, you're right. It is Twitter. It's like Twitter after Twitter had been invented and then modified so that it was a better place and then all the modifications taken away. That's the invention of the printing press. People just said shit. And like this, okay, so this is purposefully a satire, right, of the heroic stanzas, which are like supposed to be about chivalry and respect and heroism. And this guy's like, yeah, I didn't really do any real fighting. I kind of just like fucked around, stabbed people. It's great. You should (laughs) enlist as well, you know? Do you think that the author likes this character? The guy who kidnapped his wife? Yeah, yeah, I think I he's think on board. He yeah, I think he I think he purposefully would hate actual heroes. I think so too. Cuz he's probably like why are you being hoity-toity? We we're all in the same fucking mud. We all did the same fucking shit. Get off your high horse. He seems like a get off your high horse kind of guy. I think I've talked about this on the pod before, but it's like those people who like just say really messed up things all day long and they're like, I'm just saying what everyone's thinking. Everyone's thinking it. I'm just saying it. It's like, no, everyone's not thinking that. He's probably like that. He's like, I'm just I'm just writing the debauched stuff that everyone else is wanting to write. But everyone else is like, can you like take a chill pill? Yeah, I did not like that at all. And I do not thank you for bringing that to us. You want me to do a different one from the same author? Or? No, just a different one. <laughs> yeah, go for... Let's go for broke. Go for gold? Yeah. God, no, we're not doing Samuel Johnson. That's not fucking happening today. <laughs> we're going to read a poem by Mary Barber. The Irish poet Mary Barber, born in 1685 and dead in 1755, R.A.P., was, according to her friend and countryman Jonathan Swift, the best poetess of both kingdoms. She's the friends with your buddy. Yeah. Well, the friend of my friend is my friend, right? Unless it's my enemy. We'll see. She had a true poetical genius that was surprisingly well cultivated. He thought for a woman married to a Dublin woolen salesman. (laughs) God, he's great. He's great at giving people compliments. Though known as modest in retiring, she was at times involved in controversy, as when she was arrested in England for holding manuscript copies of Swift's poem attacking the government of Robert Walpole. Her poems on several occasions, published in 1734, which sold over 900 copies by subscription, contains numerous poems to her sons, verse about social life in Bath, Tunbridge Wells, and other fashionable places, and humorous verses as a selection here, written in a Swiftian tetrameter couplets. Ah, yes, I love the Swiftian way. I love this for her because I feel like not enough women's poetry made it out of this era alive for us to read or like has not really made it into the the literary canon that's shown to people in like the curriculum and stuff. It, do- it doesn't make it onto a lot of syllabi. That's what I'm trying to say. And it wasn't on ours either. I pulled this out of my ass. You pulled it out of the nort. I haven't read poetry on here in a while. So this is called An Unanswerable Apology for the Rich. All bounteous heaven, Castalia cries, with bended knees and lifted eyes. When shall I have the power to bless and raise up merit in distress? How do our hearts deceive us here? He gets 10,000 pounds a year. With this, the pious youth is able to build and plant and keep a table. But then the poor he must not treat. Who asks the wretch? 
that wants to eat. Alas, to ease their woes, he wishes, but cannot live without ten dishes. Though six would serve as well, tis true, but one must live as others do. He now feels wants unknown before, wants still increasing with his store. The good Castalio must provide brocade and jewels for his bride. Her toilet shines with plate embossed, what sums her lace and linen cost. The clothes that must his person grace, shrine with embroidery and lace. The costly pride of Persian looms, and Guido's paintings grace his rooms. His wealth Castalio will not waste, but must have everything in taste. He's an economist confessed, but what he buys must be the best. For common use, a set of plate, old china when he dines in state, a coach, and six to take the air, besides a chariot and a chair, all these important calls supplied, calls of necessity, not pride. His income's regularly spent. He scarcely saves to pay his rent. No man alive would do more good, or give more freely, if he could. He grieves whene'er the wretched sue, but what can poor Castalio do? Would heaven but send 10,000 more? He'd give, just as he did before. Dang, that slapped. I love that. Okay. My goodness. The rich really haven't poor. <laughs> People really haven't changed at all in like 300 years, have they? Like, oh no, how can I give up anything? So it's about like a, a wealthy man who's living yep. well beyond his means, who says that he would give to the poor and stuff, but he just he just can't afford it because he personally has to have the best of everything. And he even admits that he used to give to charity before and if he had more he promises he would give but he wouldn't because he just lived beyond his means again but yeah i think that's a oh that's such a oh oh that's such a good poem i loved it and i love the way it was written and i love her i like how it's still true you know i think that's the thing i like the most about it is that it's still true to this day like people are still like this which i think is wild i just i think you know rich people have been rich for a long time and their behaviors have been the same for a very long time and i liked i like the opulence that it was showing you know like he has to have it, the best chairs and the best dishes and he has to have her dressing table has to be made out of silver like he his wife needs to get the best gifts he needs to have so 10 dishes even though he could give away four and have six and he would have more than enough for himself he has like six horses to pull his chariot I think they should have to read this in economics classes. Yeah, like can we just add this to to the uh, the curriculum across the board? This is, yeah, that was syllabusin. I also I like how it's an unanswerable apology for the rich. Yeah, because like yeah, he doesn't have an excuse for doing what he's doing. No, but I I like that because like even though like. As because her husband owned his own business, he was a wool salesman. She was firmly middle class, like selling wool in Ireland is like fairly well off, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she, you know, she was well off enough to be able to write, but she still yeah. wasn't rich enough to be rich, rich to the point where like she still wrote this as a satire yeah. for rich people playing their tiny little violins. <laughs> oh, that was... Excellent. I like that much better than the last one. It's about an equally bad person, but it's presented in a very different way because it's presented by a very different person. And I feel like the the piece feels differently about those two characters and treats them very differently. Like this one's very ironic. I think Rochester was looking at the form more 
-hmm. Whereas like in his satire, like, he was satirizing the form more than the actual content. Yes, I agree with you. Whereas Mary had like an actual form that she was playing in. And then she actually used like the satire to be a satire of its own. Yes, I agree. I think he his was like, look at these heroic verses, but no one's really heroic. We all know that everyone secretly just loves violence if they're trying to be heroic. And hers is like, hey, there's these like terrible people who are hoarding resources. Why don't you spread that around, Elon Musk? I'm not apologizing. <laughs> no, we're, we don't have to. <laughs> what is he going to come for us? He's going to buy Spotify? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. So yeah. <laughs> um, that's it for us. That's how we're going to wrap up the year and start the new one. I think that was like a really good two random poems we just pulled out of our butts. <laughs> out of the Norton. Thanks, Norton. Norton never lets us down. Um, thank you so much for joining us this year. We have had a blast hanging out with all of you again. Thank you for welcoming us into your ear holes for another 20-something-odd episodes that we have in a year. When we return, we are going to try to be a little less chaotic and actually have a novel for you next time, which I know. Oh, wow, unusual. Thank you so much for bearing with us as we go through this extremely difficult time. And if you want to find us to chat with us, we are at Unsighted on Twitter and Instagram. I'm actually more active on Instagram now, so holla. Yay! Wait, what would you write these poems on oh, a scale fuck. of the first poem to the second poem? Well, the second poem was obviously better. Yeah, the second poem was a million times better. The first poem was 2022. The second poem is 2023. We are only going with that vision forward. That's beautiful. What a beautiful Poetic. hope for the new year. Let's not be like last time. We heard all these good New Year's wishes um, when I was looking back at 2020 New Year's podcast episodes when everyone was like, 2020 is going to be my year. Let's not do that. We're just going to be better. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. We will see you in two weeks. And as always... We're excited and available. Oh, no, dear. There are flowers in this book. Okay. <laughs>